Okay. My name is Pastor Derek. I just want to welcome you to Connect. We are in a series uh, entitled Full Throttle, okay, where we're just kind of learning to slow down before we break down, burn out. And uh, today's uh, message is called Checking the Gauges, and we just want to learn how to cool our jets before we get upset. So that's kind of the idea today. Um, you can get your worship guide out. You can, get, you can follow us on Uversion as well. The worship guide is in there under live event. Just hit our church name or our zip code, 01721, and all the good stuff is in there. There's going to be extra notes today So for all you note takers. Note takers are history makers. Okay, so I'd like to give you something that is going to help you during the week. This particular series is what I call a pastoral series. So it's it's kind of an investment in you to get you healthy, pull you out of kind of vacation mode, get you out of like the, the, the summer doldrums, let's just say, and get you ready for productivity, but you want to be able to have it with balance. And so this whole series has been about finding rest. Anybody need a little rest? Just don't do it right now. Okay? Just don't do it right now. Um, I'll start with a little story. Uh, this goes back a ways. Um, well, not that far because I'm so young, but I can remember being in college and uh, I used to drive home from college at different times from Tulsa all the way to Boston. And when I would travel in my VW Scirocco, which I named Rocco, uh, black, five on the floor, leather, Bose system, it was pretty sweet. Um, but I can remember I was nursing a little uh, engine injury with Rocco. It was, uh, the radiator was overheating, and my dad taught me, you know, just carry a jug of water, you know, you can kind of baby that thing. Like, we didn't get things fixed right away. We just band-aided them, you know what I'm saying? And so I had this jug of water with me. I get caught up in um, the, the uh, Highway 80 Pennsylvania Poconos. Anybody ever been there before? The Poconos in Pennsylvania, all right? Basically, there's mountain... Uh, tops on your, on your right and then cliffs on your left and, and I, I was running out of gas and I, I did, you know, we didn't have cell phones for all the you, uh, younger generation. It was a different day back then, smoke signals, cups with strings, the whole bit. Um, and so <laughs> I didn't plot and plan everything out and I was getting a little nervous to top it off. It's like the middle of the night. I'm looking for a hotel. I'm looking for a gas station and there's nothing out there. It's pitch black. It's silent, and it's very scary. So anyway, as I'm going down Highway 80, my Rocco decides to overheat. He's upset with me. He overheats, starts boiling over. So I have to pull over and uh, let the engine cool. So I pull over, pop the hood, get back in my car. And, and I'll just be honest with you. Uh, don't judge me, but I was scared because it was pitch black, and it was silent. And so I did what any young adult, teenage person would do under those circumstances when you're scared and it's pitch black and it's silent. I cranked the radio. And so I turn up the radio so I can just block out reality and block out the silence and, uh, and eventually waited for that car to cool. As it cooled down, uh, I decided I'm going to get, get out of the car and I'm going to go put some water in it. And as I opened the door, because it was so loud in my car, I couldn't hear anything or feel anything. And so, because the bow's, you know, it's pumping. I open my door and an 18-wheeler goes right by me. I scream like a girl. I mean, I just, I just squeal right out. Nobody can hear me, but I can hear myself. It was, trust me, it sounded like a girl. The door almost gets ripped off. I almost get blown into the, you know, down the side of the mountain. And I jump back in my car because I'm so scared. Shut the door and I'm thinking, what am I doing in here? Oh yeah, I gotta get out. So I get out and I, uh, and I proceed to kind of 
let the engine cool a little bit more, fill up a little water, then it would take a little bit more, fill it up, and everything just got quiet and dark again, and I've got no headlights on, and it was just pitch black. You know what I mean? Like, if somebody opened their eyes, that would be a flashlight. It was that kind of dark. All of a sudden, I hear these noises in the woods. Yep, exactly. It was wicked scary, okay? And, and the noises and the cracklings of the twigs breaking and, and stuff's happening. It's getting closer and closer. And so like a brave, courageous, you make me brave. No, that didn't happen then. I got back in my car. I shut the door. And you know what I did like any brave person would do? I cranked my radio on again because I didn't want to know what was coming. And so my hood is up because I forgot to shut it, and I left the water bottle out there, and all I can see is a crack between the hood and my dash, and I'm looking through, and I got my headlights on, and all of a sudden, a black bear comes right up to my car, takes a good look at me, sizes me up, says grace, you know, getting ready to, you know, prepare. now I prepare me, you know, no, he, he didn't do that, but he's looking at me, and I am just freaking out, I'm freaking out. And so finally, you know, I just, he, he goes down over the hill. I guess he just decided it was too much work. I, you know, a lot of bones at the time. It wasn't like I went now. Uh, and so he goes down the hill and, and I decide, you know, I, I'm freaking out. So I got the radio cranked again. You know what I mean? So I get out, I get out, I, I, I start the, I, I put the hood down, I, I close it off and I speed, I speed off. Now, just, just so you know how the adrenaline was pumping, I drove that, this is the first time I've ever done this in my life and the last time I've ever done this. But I was so scared, so freaked out. I went without rest for 26 hours. I drove from Tulsa all the way through to Boston. And that was the last leg of it. And it was no problem getting home, just so you know, okay? And so the reason I tell you that story is because this is what it's like for many of us. We sometimes have these issues under the hood of our lives, don't we? We have sometimes this kind of this internal you know, overheating sometimes, things that are happening beneath the surface that cause us stress and steal our rest. We have sometimes an internal combustion. Now, I'm not a mechanic and, and don't claim to be, never plan to be. I've got plenty of great people that help me with that. But there's a term that sometimes describes what the internal stuff does to the engine of a car and much like that, the engine of our lives. It's called thermal viscosity breakdown. Has anybody ever heard of that before? Thermal viscosity breakdown is basically what happens when a car's engine kind of overheats. It gets too hot. There's a thermal breakdown and it causes the greatest damage to a car when a car's internal heat exceeds healthy ranges. And then as a result, there's just this chemical reaction. The oil viscosity kind of erodes and then parts and, and metals and things like that start heating up so bad that it can cause tremendous damage to an engine and ultimately it can stop the car from being able to move forward. And that's what can happen in our lives. We can have breakdown that's not so much external, but internal. Things can heat up. There's sometimes an internal combustion that's taking place. And so what I want to do today is I want to give you like three gauges. Just like if you were looking at the dashboard of a sports car, usually they have like three dials. And you have to monitor these dials to make sure they're within certain ranges to stay healthy, to make sure that the car is going to run right. And the same is true for us. We need a system of measurement to monitor our, uh, the disposition of our position, posture of our soul to make sure we stay healthy. And so we can do what Jesus actually promised for us. We can find rest. Can I have an amen out there? So I want to give you these three gauges, okay? There's going to be a lot of extra notes. And so I'm just telling you that front. At the end of each one of these gauges, 
The extra notes that you might want to write is, I'm going to give you an application point that you can take home in your devotions and a question that you can ask yourself or, or ask in order to be able to put these things into work, okay? So the first gauge, this is the, the way to monitor where you're at, what is really causing stress. The first one is motives. Everybody say motives. motives. Now, motives are those hidden drivers, those things under the hood that are pushing us to our limits. Sometimes we don't know what they are because they're hidden. Uh, they're the things that, um, the kind of, the, the motives are the things that, that, the why behind what we're doing. They reveal, if, if monitored, what matters to us most. If monitored, they'll reveal what matters to us most. They're the things that are creating a lot of your stress, a lot of your loss of rest. And what do we need to do to figure out what those motives are and what they're doing to us is we need the light of God's word. You need to turn on the headlights. You need to put a flashlight on the engine. The light of God's word provides for you and for me those mirror moments the Bible actually does that. When you read the Bible, it reveals to you the condition of your heart. The Bible says that, and actually in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12, it's living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, dividing asunder the soul and the spirit, the joints from the marrow, and it's a discerner of the thoughts and intense motives of our heart. So we need these mirror moments from God's word, this gauge to be able to find out what's going on. Now, this is going to be a really drastic transition, and I hope you guys can stay with me because you're so mature. But has anybody here ever been to a funeral? Raise your hand if you've ever been to a funeral. Okay. So let me just, let me just have like a kind of a, a serious moment here. It's, the thing about a funeral is it is a very difficult situation, and I don't want to take lightly that. I'm not trying to bring anybody back to terrible memories. What I am trying to actually bring you back to is, a, is, is an outcome of a funeral. Funerals are sobering, but they're actually aspects of them that are very healthy for us, us individually. They reveal sometimes the, the things that are really going on in the inside. The, the moments of sobriety actually bring us to a place where we ask questions of ourselves, unconsciously or consciously. We're thinking, am I ready? Am I ready to meet my maker? You know, uh, I wonder when that time's going to come for me. For the first time, maybe in a long time, we think and realize our days are numbered, you know? As one day already gone from the days that are already numbered, the days of God have been ordained for me. The Bible says to teach me to number my days. We don't usually do that, but when there's a funeral, all of a sudden we start paying attention to those kind of things. Did I do the most important things? Have I focused on that which is important to God? What things do I need to prove in my life? What should I do differently now? Something about it, it kind of brings us back. These are sobering, but they're very healthy for us. Ecclesiastes actually talks about this, if you're interested, in chapter 7, verses 1 and following. But the essential um, parts of rest, see, what comes in rest, and I want to highlight a particular thing about rest that we don't always think about. Rest, if you pull away intentionally versus... Uh, versus an inopportune time, which is what a funeral, a funeral, nobody expects it, then it happens, and then it forces us to kind of look at ourselves. What if we took the benefits of intentionally pausing and resting and reflecting? The particular word that I want you to highlight, maybe put it somewhere, is reflection. Rest gives you opportunities of reflection. Reflection helps you see what you cannot see, what's going on inside of you. And the secret is to not just do it when we have to, like a funeral, but to do it regularly. And it leads to or brings real rest 
rest when you reflect. Look in your notes, 1 Corinthians 4, the second part of verse 5, it says this. It says, it says, God will bring to light what is hidden in darkness and will expose the motives of men's hearts. See, we fail to see sometimes why we're stressed out. Sometimes we think it is an issue. You think you're stressed. You don't have rest because of activity, too much activity. I'm not going to say that doesn't have part to play in what's going on in your life, but a lot of times it's not too much activity. It's issues, motives, drivers, things of the heart. And this is what I put in your notes. Sometimes the loss of rest or peace and the increase of stress is not a result of too much activity on the outside, but too much activity on the inside. Issues of the heart, not so much a busy schedule. And last week, we talked about these hidden drivers. We talked about the fear of man. Does anybody remember that? Uh, we talked about FOMO, guilt, fear, those kind of, like fear of man is a big one. Fear of man is fundamentally, uh, a modern way to describe that would be an approval addiction. An approval addiction. We do what we're, all that we're doing to get the approval of someone that we're trying to uh, receive approval from. And I heard about a young attorney, and uh, he had just passed his boards, and he got his first office, and he got his desk, and he was he was he was open for a week, no business, and so uh, he was kind of getting nervous. And all of a sudden, he hears somebody coming to the office. He's got a phone on his desk, he's got, you know, he's got pens and he's got paper and all that, everything looks good, but he's got no business. And so he hears somebody out there, so he decides, I need to appear busy, so he picks up the phone and pretends he's on, the, he's on a call, like a business call. The guy walks in, he says, hold on just a second, I'll be right with you. Gets back to the phone, he says, sir, oh yeah, I'm sure we can help you, you know, we're going to help you win this case, you know, uh, if you know, why don't you come in on Tuesday, we'll talk about it, I'm confident I'm going to be able to help you, thank you so much. He hangs up the phone, he goes, sir, it's so good, come on here, come on, sit down down here. Let's, let's talk. How can I help you? The guy says, I'm from AT&T. I'm here to plug in your phones. <laughs> see, see, uh, see this, these drivers will cause us to do crazy things, even have some embarrassing moments in our life. That's what can happen. It can, but there's, but you know, the Bible says in Proverbs 16 too, it says all a man's ways seem innocent to him. But motives are weighed by the Lord. We need these mirror moments so those motives can be weighed. Is everybody getting me? Now, there are certain drivers that are good. You may, I gave you bad ones last week. I can give you good ones this week. A good driver, uh, something that we should, should, should be striving for, the approval we should be looking for is God's approval. God's approval is a good driver. In other words, we don't live for, we live for an audience of one. Not this audience. I live for an audience of one. When you live for an audience of one, you're less likely to come undone unravel, you know, fall apart, break down. And a lot of times, FOMO, which we talked about last week, the fear of missing out, tells us you're missing out on things. But God's approval says, hey, you're missing out on me. He personalized it. He didn't say you're missing out on religion, you're missing out on keeping a bunch of rules and getting a scorecard at the end of the day. No, he says, he says in John 15, remain in me and I will remain in you. He says things like, apart from me, you can do nothing. And so God is trying to tell us that when you live for approval from me, it says in John 15, you'll be more fruitful. You'll produce more fruit. You'll get more done when you are driven by approval from me and me alone. Now, one of the things that I was thinking about, and this just came up in my devotions, I think it was last Monday, 
or Tuesday, early in the morning. But I, I just thought I'd highlight one particular thing. One of the problems with this, and this, this, this approval addiction, this is one of those drivers that I think is a big one, and I, I just wanted to unpack this one more. But one of the things that we're, we long for, I think, in our culture today, and this is very common because of media and because of the Hollywood drives and things like that, but we have this desire to be known, to be famous, is what I mean. Now, there's, I believe everybody needs to be needed and known. And so we do that at Connect. We help people feel needed in, in through the dream team because they want to make a difference. We help people feel known in a small group where they feel accepted and find a place of belonging. But there's, a, there's an unhealthy level of known where we want to make ourselves famous, not Jesus famous. It goes too far, and it can be driving us. And the, the counterpunch to this, I want to be known, it's about me, I did this, you know, I'm top of the food chain, I'm top of the hill, is learning to live, listen to this, keyword, in obscurity, obscurity, obscurity. See, Jesus modeled this for us. Jesus, from zero to 30 years old, lived in obscurity. Nobody, nobody, virtually nobody knew about Jesus. And it was in Matthew chapter 3 where Jesus' kind of ministry really launched. He goes to be baptized by John the Baptist. John says, I can't baptize you. You know, I'm not worthy. You know what I mean? And Jesus says, it must happen so that righteousness would be fulfilled. John says, okay, who am I to stop it? Let's go. He baptizes Jesus. And then the Holy Spirit descends like a dove upon Jesus. And from heaven, God audibly speaks and says, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. It was a monumental moment where all these people hear what is happening. It was a big deal. What's interesting about this is Jesus didn't respond by that, by, by having you know, a big tent meeting crusade after that. He didn't respond by making sure he plastered pictures of the event all over social media. He didn't do that. He didn't launch a new website. He didn't rally donors. He didn't build a building. No, he went and hid himself after that. What? He went on, per his father's instructions, a 40-day trek into the wilderness and fasted and prayed. Interesting. He hid himself away. He, see, Jesus knew he, his true identity, who he was, was established in times of obscurity, alone, solitude, with he and God. He was the great I am, not the great I do or the great I will. He was the great I am. He knew who he was, according to John chapter 13, verses 1 and following. He only did what the Father told him to do in accordance with John 14, 31, exactly what and he wanted the world to know. More than anything, I'm not the man, but I love my father, and I do what he tells me to do. Amen. See, the people expected him to be a king and set everything right and help everyone, but instead, he didn't help everyone. He healed sporadically, and he just taught people how to live. And I think the disciples looked at him and said, why would someone with so much power and so much potential waste it like that? And then he left altogether. Amazing. Now, there are greats in the Bible that have similar stories Maybe not as profound, but David and Moses, people that we love and aspire to be like. But they had their backside of the desert. They had their in the caves, hiding in the caves. But they lived in obscurity too before they did anything great. But you see, in our world, we don't focus on, you know, uh, stagehands or backup singers or, you know, farm boys that scurry around, you know, in the shadows. We prize our social media platforms. We prize promotion. We want to be seen and heard and be adored. We don't want to be hidden and stay hidden. We want to be the star who rose. We want to be the hero who saves. But maybe... 
just throwing this out, times of obscurity will keep us healed, will keep us healthy, will keep us peaceful, and maybe more successful in the long run. Can I have an amen out there? So the truth is you have to have times of productivity and achievement, and you got to have your get-or-done moments, but they are predicated upon healthy rest periods, pulling away and having a quieting of your soul because everything grows better in periods of rest when there's a pause button that's hit. Crops and plants and trees and, you know, everything grows better. Animals grow better. Muscles grow better if there's rest. Another thing that checks our motives is living by design and not by default. Here's another one. Design, not by default. Now, I'm not going to talk about this today because we have a whole series. Next series is called Graffiti, Making Your Unique Mark on the World. And I'm going to talk a lot about this in next series, so you don't want to miss that. I'm going to move on to another motive, and that is a clear conscience. Everybody say clear conscience. One of the things that keeps us peaceful is a clear conscience. When our conscience isn't clear, we lose that rest. We don't have that rest for our soul. See, Jesus didn't come just to remove the consequence of your sin. He came actually to give you a clear conscience, to actually wash your mind from all the guilt and shame and victimization that sometimes overcomes us. He wants to remove the dirty windshield from your life. He wants to heal the dirty canvas of your life where all these old things from the past bleed through onto the new canvas. Because when you see clearly, you won't get as weary. That's what happens. Because we're doing it sometimes from a pure heart and a pure perspective. Because when that happens, we can see as God sees and we can do as he says. So here's the application for this particular first gauge. To evaluate your motives, you need times of reflection. Reflection. Everybody remember reflection. And here's the question you can ask yourself in your devotion, daily or weekly. You ask, see, in reflection, you talk to God about it. You ask God, what is driving me? What, what are the things that are driving me? The Bible tells us in Psalm 139, verse 23 through 24, it says, search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there be anything offensive in me and lead me in the way everlasting. If you ask God to show you the motives of your heart, he will if you pull away. And he'll heal those perspectives and give you the right vision so you can do the right things and you can experience the rest that you want. Can I have an amen out there? That's good preaching. I'm telling you, it's going to help some people a lot, a lot. Amen? So that's the first gauge. The second gauge is values. Everybody say values. So we got three dials we're looking at in the car of our life monitoring the engine, the heart, the soul, the spirit of us, and the values are critical, okay? So here's a fill in the blank. Stress comes when our claimed values don't line up with our practiced values. One of the reasons we have a hard time resting, finding rest for your soul, is because we say something over here, but it's not manifest over here. Our claimed values don't match up with our practiced values. Jesus said this in Mark 8, 36. He said, what good is it for a man to gain the whole world, compromising, getting ahead? You look at all these people, they're getting ahead. Looks like they're getting ahead. The appearance of getting ahead. But when they're compromising, not just making, they're, they're conceding, they're giving in to themselves, they're choosing the course of least, least resistance, what are they forfeiting? Everything, their soul. Your soul stands for your spirit, your mind, and your body. It doesn't just say, just soul, sometimes we don't know the true meaning of that particular word. You are forfeiting your peace, your resolve, your, 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 your state of being. When you surrender your values, it creates tremendous pain and stress. Here's a key you can fill in the blank. The distance between the truth I know and the truth I live equals the pain I'm experiencing. The distance between the truth I know and the truth I live creates pain, pain. And so we have to have 
A value, by the way, is, is simply a fixed belief. This is what a value by definition is. A core value is a fixed belief. It's an unwavering, unchanging, like it doesn't matter how the winds blow. This tree may bend, but it will not move. It's going to stay. It's secure. It's solid. It's rooted. It doesn't move. In other words, I don't change my behavior. uh, I don't change my beliefs to move to my new behaviors. Nope. My behaviors need to come over here to my beliefs, to my core values, to my convictions. Get over here into this realm. And it may be painful, but it actually produces more peace in the end. Real peace, not pseudo peace as the world offers. And so sometimes people say to me, or I'll say to them, what's a core value for you? What's your core value on stewardship or generosity? Or do you believe in the tithe? They'll say, oh yeah, I believe in the tithe. I believe in the tithe. So, so then I'll say, I'll follow up question, I'll say, do you practice the tithe? Oh, whoa. Now it's like a moment of silence. Everybody has to pray all of a sudden because it's just everybody got quiet. Oh, is this a time to pray because you didn't say anything? Okay, sorry. That's what happens. Or people say to me, I love God. He's the, first, he's the most important relationship. What's the most important relationship in your life? They'll say, God. God's number one. Oh, really? Okay, so do, do you, are you part of a church? Oh, no, well, I don't go to a church. You know what I mean? It's just, just me and God. Or, oh, do you, you know, are, you, are you reading your Bible every day? No. Oh, do you, do you spend time praying? Oh, are you in a small group? Oh, do you use your gift for God, your talent? Oh, oh. We go through this thing. Listen, if your, if your professed beliefs and convictions and values don't line up with your practice beliefs, you are experiencing pain. This isn't me judging you, just so you know. This is a judge-free zone. I'm not judging you. This is a hassle-free zone as well. I'm just telling you, this is why you're not experiencing rest. Because you say you have a value and it's not lining up with what you actually do. Amen? Ooh. So, what happens is to avoid that stress and experience rest, this is what you gotta do. You gotta keep your word, you gotta keep your commitments. Because when you don't, deep down, this is what's happening you are slowly changing. You're changing. And when you're changing from what you wanna be, what you said you'd always be, then you're experiencing pain. It's pain. It's pain. And there's no rest when there's not a congruency in your life. You're not being congruent. That's what's happening. And so the world keeps saying, course of least resistance, like water. Choose the convenience. Choose the circumstantial. Choose the, the avoid, that, avoid that conversation. Avoid that decision. Avoid, you know, say yes to everything. And in the process, we're not living congruent lives. And so the incentive that God has for us as Christ followers is be congruent and you'll find peace and you'll find rest for your souls. Uh, Psalm 15, chapter uh, five, Psalm 15, verses 4 and 5, basically paraphrase says, if you do these things, and, and it lists these different things, making God your priority and others that it lists there, it says, if you do these things, you'll never be, you'll never be shaken. But the first part of the verse says, those, you, you gotta keep your word to your own hurt and change not. So if you wanna experience the benefit, that's what we all want, you know, stable, you know, holding fast no matter what, solid, never shaken. You got to keep your word. Well, sometimes it's painful. Mm-hmm, it is painful. But no pain, no gain. If you want to experience the blessing of God, sometimes you have to say yes to what he says in spite of what's required. That's the fear of the Lord. That's what it means to honor God with all your heart. Can I have an amen? Now, I have some rest realizations in here, and they don't seem to line up with what I was just talking about, and that's because I prepared these things early, so deal with it. Uh, so... <laughs> These were just some things in my devotional life that I was working out with myself, okay? And they're examples of some values that I professed but sometimes don't line up. And the Holy Spirit was correcting me, so I thought I'd share these with you, all right? So, so this is something that I say. I say this. I say, I believe in delegation. I say things like, I believe, delegate to develop. Yet, sometimes I behave like, if I don't, it won't. 
Does anybody resonate with what I'm saying? Here's my, here's my professed core value. I believe in delegation, delegate to develop. But then I'm living like, you know, if I don't do that, then it won't happen. See, and so God said to me, he said, he said son, this is the fill in the blank, delegation just doesn't devalue me. Delegation doesn't devalue me. Because it was a hidden driver that was trying to say, you're not valuable if you're releasing that responsibility. And that's not true. That's a lie. So I had to have a mirror moment with my values and a mirror moment with my motives. And God was able to change those behaviors. And then I realized it's better to get the right things done, not more things done. Another thing I say, just going, going through this with you out loud. Another thing I say is I say I believe in the Sabbath. But... I'm behaving like I'm afraid to face what will surface and not confront the facts from the Sabbath. And so instead of running to rest, I'm running from it. But when I'm rested and I do what he says, it reveals this. Write this down. Rest reveals the condition of my heart. So all of a sudden, it just shows me what's really going on. And it's always better, even if it's painful, to deal with it now than to have to deal with it later. You can deal with a heart checkup or you can deal with a heart attack. It's your call. It's your call. So another thing I say, I say this, I say, I need to rest my body. And, and, and so we always have this bent towards a worship, a, a kind of a, a neglector of our body or a worshiper of our body. You fall into one of two categories right now. You have a bent. You worship the temple too far this way or you neglect the temple too far this way. I love ice cream. Can't wait to have it. Stay home. Who cares tonight? Or I got to go over here. I got to work out 18 times this week. Oh my gosh, have you looked at me? Okay, so, so I have this bent. I have this bent over here, okay? So, so my value is I got I to gotta take care of the body. I got to take care of the body. And so the reality is, though, my body, the Holy Spirit was showing me, is not what's keeping me awake. My mind is. He says, you need rest, not just for your body, but for your mind. So I realized, this is the value, the, the outcome, rest restores more than my body. It restores my mind. It nourishes my spirit. Is everybody getting something out of this? So, so here's the question. Here's the application first. The application first part is reflection. The application in this part is, uh, is, is uh, conversation. So values require conversation. So, so the question in the first motive is you ask God. The question in, the, in this value is you have to ask someone else. If you want to change in this area, you have to ask someone else. They're going to put a small group plug up here in just a second. But let me just say it like this. Our small groups as a church, we call them connect groups. All right, now connect groups, the, what we say all the time is that life change happens in the context of relationships. We believe in small groups or connect groups. Now, one of the things that we know as a church, when you come to church, you want to get right with God? We can provide, that's, that's, the scripture says you can have that. If you confess your sins, he, God, is faithful and just to forgive your sins and cleanse you from all unrighteousness, 1 John 1, 9. You want forgiveness? Go to God. You want to change, the Bible says you need someone else. It says in James 5, 16, confess your faults one to another. Pray for one another that you might be healed, changed, transformed, made a new person, okay? So, so we need to talk it out with somebody else. So for your values to, to practiced and professed to line up, you got to talk to somebody else, okay? So the first thing is you got to talk to God. Second one is you got to talk to someone else because you have blind spots and you have these incongruencies. And so the question you would ask is to a friend, you know, hey, listen, am I, under, am I over-promising and under-delivering? Am I saying this and doing that? Am I congruent? Do you think I'm practicing what I'm preaching? That, that doesn't happen overnight. You're not going to do that week one with somebody. But if you make a commitment to life-giving relationships, the goal of the small group is not to just get together in a group. It's to get together and connect with people where you can go there and grow here. Amen. Make sense? 
It's good. It's help somebody. All right, here's the final gauge. Everybody say the final gauge. It's like countdown. Never mind. You don't have to sing. It's bad. Final countdown, another song? Anyway, sorry. <clears throat> this is more an external factor, okay? I always hear music, so sorry about that. So, so here's the third one, schedule. Schedule. Now, this is, uh, this is the one, honestly, I wrestle with the most. I was calling, I was telling my dad this last night. I was telling my wife, I'm like, honey, I'm really struggling with this problem. And she's like, you think? Because <laughs> this is like one of my, I'm just being vulnerable. This is one of the toughest areas of my life. It requires constant calibration. And what happens is sometimes we're holding on to stuff. I can remember my wife, uh, one time she went away and for, for a few hours or something like that. And by the way, how many of you are like the uh, hold on to it kind of person, like collector person? Uh, you know, like you just don't let anything go. Anybody like that? Okay. Now, how many of you are the Huck and Chuck people? Huck and Chuck people? High five, everybody. Huck and Chucks. Awesome. Thank you very much. Can I tell what side I'm on? Okay, so my wife went away for a little while, and I just started to have, I decided to have like a covert operation. You see where this is going? So she goes away, and I'm like, oh, what a great time to huck and chuck some stuff. Stuff's lying around. She hates this, and I've gotten a lot of trouble for this, and I'm getting better, right? Anyway, uh, maybe not. Maybe not. Maybe not. I'm in big trouble later, but I'm going to go for it because this is fun, and it's worth a laugh. I need the approval. It's an approval addiction. So, so she comes back from being out, and I'm going out in the garage. I'm going out the garage to go to the gym or something like that. And I see her walk in. I immediately come under conviction. I'm like, whoo, whoo, she's home, she's home. And because I had hid all the stuff in the trash cans in the bottom, in the bottom. So I can feel this conviction. She looks at me like, hmm, what's going on with him? Hmm. She walks by the trash can. She puts her hand over the trash can and stops. <laughs> I feel something. It's not right. Honey, is there anything you want to tell me? You know, it was just this unbelievable moment. I don't know why she stops it. All of a sudden, she starts going to the trash can. She's pulling stuff out. She gets to the bottom. She starts getting really mad. She gets to the bottom. She's like, honey, why would you throw this stuff away that I've had since 1972? I don't understand it. <laughs> You'll get your chance later. There's all this stuff. <laughs> Some people are like this with their schedules. You just can't let go. You're holding on. You're trying to do everything. Life has limits. You are sometimes living way beyond your capacity. You're living like you have no limits. It's hard sometimes to say no because you're saying yes to everything else. You got to let go. You got to stop trying to fit everything in, trying to fix it. Come on, somebody. You know what I'm talking about out there? And so here's what will help you, all right? Make this quick. Basically, you to, to get your schedule in order, I'm not going to give you a bunch of schedule secrets, okay? I'm going to say this. You have to live by certain principles. Principles precede practices, so you have to get the principle for the practices to work, okay? So here's a principle. You can just put this in your notes, all right? I believe that most things change not because of practices, but because of principles. Here's a key. Often rest eludes us because we prioritize our schedule rather than schedule our priorities. So we're spending all our time, even you super organized people, you meet with your spouse and let's go over this week's schedule, let's go over this week's schedule. You know who you are. You make me sick. Um... <laughs> But those people that do that, sometimes you're just, you're prioritizing your schedule, but you are not scheduling your priorities, and it is causing you tremendous, tremendous stress. And you're thinking of ways to do more instead of realizing that less is more. Everything in us, we, you know, one dollar is good, but we always think two dollars is better. We think one scoop of ice cream is good, but two scoops of ice cream is better. We think one car is good, but come on, somebody, two is better. We think one kid is good, but two is... 
You didn't bite on that one, did you, right there? That's what I thought. One wife is good, but two is a bad idea, really, really bad idea. Okay? <laughs> there was a guy who went to seminary, and, and, and he said to his professor, why is it that Solomon had so many wives? And the guy said, well, the professor said to him, he said, because when Solomon came home, he hoped that at least one of them would be in a good mood. Now, you laughed. My wife didn't laugh. She said, no. He said he hoped that one of them would be in the mood. <laughs> That's better. That's a better joke right there. That's all I'm saying. All right? <laughs> so, so, so you got to understand that, that your priorities will determine your capacities. That's another principle. So we got to schedule our priorities. Priorities determine capacity. And then here's some practices. Real simple. you gotta, you got to steal away with God every single day. You got to have, you got to make an appointment with God. We will show you how to do that and do that well. Talk about it in your small groups. What does your devotional life look like? Make an appointment with God and keep it. When you make his agenda your agenda, he'll make your agenda his agenda and bless your life. Make sure that you have a Sabbath on a weekly basis. Sabbath, it's in the Ten Commandments. There's adultery, murder, Sabbath. It's a big deal. We need to have a Sabbath, a time where you pull away, where you rest your body, get some extra sleep, where you rest your soul, your mind, where you unplug, where you, where you, where you recreate, where you restore, where you refresh your spirit, where you have times away with your family, you have excursions and walks and talks and picnics and games and feasting, where you recreate yourself. You have to have a Sabbath to find rest for your soul. Can I have an amen out there? All right? So let me just say the last application is this. Schedule is all about preparation. Everybody say preparation. preparation. Now here's the question. First we ask God, the first in the motives. In values, we ask someone else. And then with our schedule, we ask yourself, does my schedule, look at your week, every single week, and say, does my schedule reflect my priorities? If it doesn't, you have decisions, tough decisions to make. But as you make those decisions, you will find rest. Amen? Why don't you stand your feet? I want to pray for you. I can tell you this. Success in this area <laughs> does not come in a day. It comes in the daily. Success is not in a day. It's in the daily. I was online. I was on Facebook recently I think it was the top of last week, and I put a little post out there and just said, hey, guys, great to be at church with you. What did you get out of this week's message? One of the comments, and I won't mention who she was. Uh, she was in the last service, and she, she admitted every, you know, she was like, thank you for not calling me out, but it was okay if you did. But she said, she basically said that, you know, basically her busy life, she's going to school, getting her MBA. She's got a full-time job. She's got two kids under the age of four. And she goes, she goes sometimes I pray that I'll go get sick, so I have to stop. And I was just thinking, you know, is that, is that what it's going to take for us to make certain changes? So when you think about how this, this series, how this message applies to your life, what's it going to take for you to make certain changes? Listen, wise people learn enough, they're able to change. Wiser people receive enough, they want to. But foolish people wait till they have to hurt enough have to change. I've been a foolish person many times in my life in these particular areas. If you know there's certain hidden drivers, hidden, hidden you know, motives and values that are not aligning themselves, schedule that's out of bounds, you know, it'd be a good idea maybe to take an extra couple of minutes after service today and have somebody pray for you before you go schmingle or go on your way. We want to pray for you. We want to help you with that. Amen? 
Would you just close your eyes? Now, if you're here today, maybe struggling with this whole idea of rest, the Bible says in Matthew chapter 7 that, you know, a foolish man built his house upon the sand. The wise man built his house upon the rock. The winds came and the floods came up. But the house that was built on the rock stood firm. And the house that was built on sand came to a great crash. What is your life built on? Is it built on the rock, Jesus Christ? Because if it is, then you can withstand all the enemy's attacks, all the enemy's distractions, all the enemy's options and opportunities. And you can find rest for your soul and accomplish, more importantly, what God wants you to accomplish. Is your house built on the rock, Jesus Christ. If, if not, you might need to make some changes. If you call yourself a Christ follower, you might need to make some adjustments and ask those questions. Maybe you're here today, though, and you've never made the biggest rock in your life a part of your life, the biggest rock. The number one priority is to put Jesus at the center of your life, to give him the wheel of your life. If you know that's you, he might be just knocking on your heart, knocking on your heart. That happened to me when I was a young man. I had to make that decision for myself. I don't believe God has grandchildren. He only has children. And all his children were given free will agency where they have to choose him, decide to follow him, surrender their life to him, and then he, he'll help you with a ton of stuff. That's a choice. It's the most powerful muscle we have in our life is choice. If you're here today and you want to choose Jesus, make him your Lord and Savior, I'm not going to call you down front. I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm just going to pray for you right where you are, but it's important that you acknowledge that you want to do that. That's you today and you know it is. Would you raise your hand good and high right now and just say, that's me. I want to do that today. God bless you. Is there anybody else? God bless you. Thank you. Good and high so I don't miss it. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. God bless you. That's awesome. That's awesome. Incredible. Incredible. If you're listening online, that's you too. You can respond to that. It's all right. You can have that moment with God right where you are. Would you pray this prayer with me, those that raised their hand? This prayer won't save you. Believe in your heart will though. Something big is going to happen on the inside of you because of what you're getting ready to pray. Church, would you pray with me? Say, Jesus, I invite you of my own free will into my life. Replace this heart of stone with a heart of flesh. Make me a new person from the inside out. Check my motives, my values, my schedule. I surrender my entire life to Jesus Christ today. Save me. I want to be one of your children. You know my name, and I know your name. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen and amen. Come on, let's give the Lord a big hand clap for those decisions. Amen, Pastor Mark. Woo!